Amen. You may be seated. Well, I welcome you to Macedonia United Methodist Church in this year of 2020. It is a joy to be with you on what we celebrate in the church as Epiphany Sunday. Technically, Epiphany is 12 days after Christmas. Uh, it is on January 6th, uh, so we celebrate on the Sunday closest, which makes sense of the 12 days of Christmas song. Uh, so, y'all, we're still in Christmas tide for one more day, and so you can't take down your trees yet. But, um, but, but that's, uh, that's the season the season that we are in, in in the church year. It's a joy to be together uh, and celebrate today. You may have uh, woken up uh, yesterday in the paper or whatever way you collect news to see the United Methodist Church in the news, which is always great um, when that happens. Uh, so I'm going to share with you a little piece about that because I knew uh, as much as you did upon reading those articles and stuff. So um, got some research and, and some things from our bishop uh, in the last day, and so I want to share with you some things about this protocol of reconciliation and grace uh, through separation that was um, issued and put forth. So basically, a group came together of, of respected, individ, respected sides of this, um, of this debate over human sexuality, those from basically ranging from the far right and the far left and the centrists. Um, there was a small group of those who had gotten together, and they actually had a mediation process uh, with the uh, famous lawyer Ken Feinberg. Uh, Ken, if, if you know anything about legal stuff, has, has overseen the 9-11 Victims Fund, uh, the Agent Orange Fund, uh, and lots of other things, including like the latest Boeing 737 Max stuff. Um, so he's kind of a big deal uh, when it comes to mediation work. Um, and, and what they issued together... Was, um, was basically something that they hoped would, would lead to legislation that would lead to passing at general conference in May. Um, so there's a lot of steps that would need to happen. Uh, one, is, one is that of developing legislation that matches this protocol that came out. The second would be the Judicial Council of the United Methodist Church saying that that legislation is constitutional. And the third thing is the general conference actually passing it so, um, when you read a headline that says the United Methodist Church splits, that's hilarious um, because there are a lot of things. We're way too slow to split that quickly. Um, it, it'll, it'll, it'll take longer than that. So, anyway, I want to read to you um, a statement from Bishop Hope Morgan Ward um, about this. She says, Dear United Methodist friends, grace and peace to you in this new year. I write to encourage your gracious and prayerful attention to the proposal for the future of the United Methodist Church released today by a diverse group of United Methodist leaders. The proposal is the outcome of a skillfully mediated process in which these leaders came to a unanimous sense of possibility for our future. The proposal is offered to the church in humility and hope. And she says, I urge you to read the proposal and the accompanying resources. Um, I'm happy to send out her letter and will do so um, by tomorrow for you so you can see the links for that. Styled by some media as a split, all the participants understand this to be a continuity of the United Methodist Church with provisions for separation for those who desire to do so. As the year unfolds, there will be continued discussion and discernment relative to this proposal across the church as we move toward the General Conference in May. General Conference is the place where any decision will be made. Thank you for your prayers for our church in this time and for your patience and perseverance. Together, let us share strong hope for ministry configurations of our shared life 
that offers space for all to worship, grow in grace, and serve with faithfulness and joy. With the shared confidence we have in God's providence, power, and grace, Hope Morgan Ward. So, um, that is her letter about this. Um, when I read um, and I read this protocol statement, uh, which starts with a lot of whereas words, like a legal document does, um, when I read that, I read a statement of hope uh, in that there is an attempt to actually get past this impasse that we have continually been in um, and, and a possibility of actually moving forward as opposed to spinning our wheels every four years and, and the time in between them. Um, so anyway, I share that with you, I think, as a possibility of hope um, and, and movement forward. I'm happy to talk to you at any time about this. Um, also, just want to quell any fears and stuff about this because nothing has been decided or anything like that yet. This is merely a recommendation from a group of folks and um, general conference involves about 900 people uh, being able to make that decision together and not 12. Um, and so uh, it'll be messier for sure uh, when it comes to May. So anyway, I'll continue to keep you posted. And like I said, um, I heard about it when you did. So um, just wanted to keep you, keep you abreast and keep you in the loop. Our text today um, in addition to the passage about the Magi visiting Jesus, which is the traditional epiphany text, is that of John 1, the prologue to John, verses 1 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word was with God in the beginning. Everything came into being through the Word, and without the Word, nothing came into being. What came into being through the word was life, and that life was the light for all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. A man named John was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him everyone would believe in the light. He himself wasn't the light, but his mission was to testify concerning the light. The true light that shines on all people was coming into the world. The light was in the world and the world and the world came into being through the light, but the world didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people and his own people didn't welcome him. But those who did welcome him, those who believed in his name, he authorized to become God's children, born not from blood nor from human desire or passion, but born from God. The word became flesh and made his home among us. We have seen his glory, glory like that of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified about him, crying out, This is the one of whom I said, He who comes after me is greater than me, because he existed before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. As the law was given through Moses, so grace and truth came into being through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. God, the only son who is at the father's side, has made God known. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O oh Lord, that the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O oh Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we think about light and darkness in the Bible, I think we typically think of this passage where Jesus tells us that we are the light of the world, that one from Matthew 5 from the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, we as bearers of the light are called to go to the dark places of the world and shine that light. But the reality of our text today, this scripture from John 1, 
is that we are the darkness and Jesus is the light who comes into the darkness, who comes to us. Now each of us has darkness. We each have shadow places in our hearts that we would rather no one else see. And it's a lot easier to take Jesus' message of empowerment, of carrying the light, and that we are the light to go into the darkness, than it is to deal squarely with that darkness that lies within each of us. What came into being through the word was life. And the life was the light for all people. The light that Jesus brings, friends, is life. It only deals blows to death and to darkness. And this life that Jesus brings is for all people. Epiphany is about revealing. That's what it means. So we say we have an epiphany. We're revealed something. Light is shed upon something. The wise men, however many there were of them, received the light that revealed to them and to the entire non-Jewish world that Jesus is king. Think about the significance of this story. These were people far from the reach of Israel. They were included in this story because God is doing just this in the person of Jesus, bringing light for all people. It is saying that this is no longer a story just for the Jewish people. Rather, God is using this son of Israel to open up hope to the entire world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness doesn't extinguish the light. When Jesus comes into the darkness of our lives, he comes to stay and make it right. It's almost like on that show Fixer Upper that some of y'all have seen on HGTV or you've at least been to Target where Joanna Gaines has a whole section, okay? Um, it's like when she goes into a place to go and fix it up, all right? Instead of feeling like she's judging the space, she comes in and she says, right, like, if we just bash that wall over there and add a custom fireplace over here, then people would say, I never knew that my place could look like this, right? What, what they see is that their place that seemed dark and dingy before can actually be lightened up and brought new life. This is Jesus' work of transformation. He works with what he's got in each of us. It's originally made perfect and beautiful, and it's gotten covered up by years of neglect and hiding in the darkness, like covering up 100-year-old hardwoods with shag carpet in the 70s or something like that, right? And when Jesus brings his light, we have no idea how wonderful that it can be. It hurts a little initially, right, to reveal the darkness. And we get really good at hiding that room of our hearts from company that's coming, but when we let Jesus in to do the transforming work of healing and restoring, we become like new people. We start to say, I never knew it could look like that around here. When the light comes in, Jesus doesn't hate what he sees when he sees each of us. No, he just knows they can be a whole lot brighter and more hopeful and more healthy. 
right? Jesus sees the potential that exists within each of us as God's children. The light came to his own people, and his own people didn't welcome him. You see, when we jump to being the light, before we let the light shine in on us, we skip over this process of being transformed. I think this is what happens when Christians are really hateful. They think that they are being crusaders of the light, but really end up acting out of darkness. Friends, the Church of Jesus Christ should be the most hospitable and welcoming and accepting and diverse community on the earth because of how our leader lived. His way of light and life are what still breathe life into us today. But we aren't known always for that love and that welcome and that hospitality, are we? Some of you have been so hurt by church that it's shocking you're sitting in one today. Many of you know people so turned off by church, some of them in your own families, or turned off by a leader in the church so much that they have seen or known, they have sworn off any form of organized religion because of it. Friends, we have to allow the light in because darkness will never overtake the light. Then and only then can the light shine through us and we can become bearers of the light. But friends, we can only bear the light when we ourselves have been transformed and illumined by the light. I want to share with you a couple pictures of light today, a couple pictures of light shining in the darkness. One of my colleagues who was at Duke a little bit after me, her name is Sarah Howell Miller. She lives in the Winston-Salem area. And her church, Green Street United Methodist Church in Winston-Salem, began, began running a syringe exchange a couple of years ago. And regardless of one's opinion about how to overcome opioid addiction, this syringe exchange that they run keeps people alive. That's part of its ministry. I share these words from an article written about it. It says, Today in a room in the church's basement, a row of black metal cabinets is stocked with nearly all the supplies a drug user might need. Boxes of syringes, sterile water, cookers, cotton ball filters, rubber tourniquet bands, and tiny glass bottles of naloxone, the overdose reversal drug. The room is visited monthly, by about 130 users who drop in to stock up on supplies. While they're there, they often get tested for hepatitis C and HIV, another service the clinic offers. Everything is free and confidential. New and returning drug users are given a brown paper bag with one box of syringes and anything else they need, including toothpaste and condoms. They are only asked to give their name, date of birth, race, and gender. They may also decline. This reaches the most desperate people in society, People who are out there on the streets, homeless, using drugs, said one 25-year-old heroin user who gets his supplies at the clinic and also, has also volunteered there but did not want his name used. It's really an important thing to have. How Miller agrees. I've heard people who have struggled with substance abuse say that for them to just walk into a syringe exchange, that's an act of caring for themselves that perhaps they have never thought they were worthy of and have probably been told they weren't worthy of, she said. That's a profound ministry. Now, friends, I listen. 
it's, it's 2020. I don't know if many of us ever thought that a church would be providing uh, supplies for people to use drugs at their facility, right? But what I know of is that some of the places of the greatest darkness in our world are those holes of addiction, those places where people's lives are at stake. And, and, and some of the most thrown away and forgotten people about on the margins of our society are those who are drug users and who are also happen to be homeless or things like that. And this church, with its immense welcome, I believe is showering light, showering light onto people who might otherwise not see light. In fact, it was one of these exchanges uh, that, uh, that saved my friend Sarah here. Uh, she ended up marrying a man who was a, who, who was a former addict. It was one of those exchanges that saved his life. Um, and, and so it's just an amazing thing to think about the, the transformation uh, that's occurred there and also the possibility. Another group that I'm familiar with after some time living in Durham was a group called Trosa. And maybe some of you have seen, if you're in the Durham area, um, Trosa moving vans or uh, Trosa Christmas tree uh, farms uh, or places to sell them or even Trosa landscapers around. But, but Trosa says that we are a licensed treatment facility helping individuals with substance use disorders become healthy, productive members of their communities and families. So Trosa is a live-in uh, a live-in, year-long treatment center uh, that helps people become holistically uh, healed uh, from the throes of, of addiction. It's, it's an amazing work that they do. It's not specifically a Christian work that they do, but man is an example of light. Light shining in the midst of darkness. And friends, the stories could go on and on. They don't necessarily have to be about issues of addiction. These were just a couple that came to mind for me this week. But the reality is that what God is in the business of is shining his light into the darkest places of our world. And the only way in which we can truly bear the light of Jesus is by ourselves being transformed first so that we can carry that love, that welcoming, embracing light to all places. These communities are living out messages of light in spaces that are sometimes deemed too dark to go. Oh, that we might experience the illuminating light of Jesus. Oh, that we might be transformed to become the illuminating light of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.